Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette. Our guest this episode, or rather our host, is Henrietta Lovell. I mean, I smell everything. I'm the sort of person who stops and smells things. Henrietta, founder of the Rare Tea Company, invited us into her home to share a cup, a pot, several pots of tea. It smells just like the tea drying on the on the tea garden. Very green, isn't it? You can tell that's a plant, a spring bud, high in the uh, mountains. The hibernates in the winter, and then in the spring it starts to produce its first new leaves. And that's the silver tip, and it's picked just before it opens. If you look at this, this is a little leaf bud that hasn't yet unfurled. But feel it—you can't try and unfurl it. It's still hard, isn't it? You can't unfurl it because the water hasn't penetrated into the bud yet. Mm. As you get a little bit deeper, the bud is a bit softer, it's a bit longer to infuse. But you get softer, sweeter flavours because little tiny leaves are inside. Three leaves. Mm. This, is, this is tea at, at least processed part. Just a bud laid out to dry in the sunshine. It's the best thing to have first thing in the morning. You start the day. How I start every day is I tiptoe with my eyes still closed to the kettle. And I have a kettle that tells me what, time, what temperature it is, but you d- I don't need to use it in the morning. I listen to the kettle with my eyes still closed. I put a pinch of tea in the bottom of the teapot. And then I just listen to when the tea's temperature's right, which is about 75 degrees. That's how I like it. And then I pour it in, and then I go back to bed. And then by the time I'm settled, and I'm sitting up, still kind of got my eyes closed, open the, take up the curtains and then I drink the tea and it's just the most amazingly lovely way to start the day. And it doesn't take me any longer than to, to make a tea bag tea. And then this is the same tea laid out to dry and then taken down the mountain to the jasmine farm and then laid out over six nights with fresh jasmine. And they spend the night together because obviously jasmine is a night-scented flower. The jasmine and the tea are mixed together through the night, so it's just very t- gently turned so that the tea will absorb the scent of the flower. So it's a scented tea rather than the flavoured tea. Their tea their, the tea is dry at this point, but the flowers are moist. So you've got to keep turning it so that no one part becomes wet and that the, tea, and that the jasmine flowers will evenly distribute through the tea. The reason why you do use this particular kind of tea as well is the buds are a little bit, they're called silver tips because they're rather silvery. They have a very fine silvery down on them and that, that really takes in the jasmine scent. So if you use just a leaf, it won't take quite the same. It looks a little bit if you were uh, like a catkin, doesn't it? Or a, a pussy whistler, but much more fine and delicate. The smell is so strong and yet when you eat, drink yes. it, it's so soft and subtle, yes. isn't it? So it's not about the... So it's all in the nose, that lovely, very volatile jasmine scent. And then you get sweet, soft, delicate white tea. A lovely little bit of tannin at the end of the tip of your tongue. When it's like night and people are gently turning these things over, does this, what does this smell like? Is it the same? No, it's so ridiculously heady. It's, it's almost, you know, like a swoony. And they don't, they don't obviously find it too strong because they're quite used to it. 
it's quite warm in there and it's at the right temperature and humidity it's got to be for that whole thing to take place and so you sort of feel kind of dizzy and, and like you're in some kind of uh, eastern fantasy do you know how women used to get lock themselves in cabinets with, with flowers to scent themselves so apparently used to lock themselves into um, cabinets full of rose petals and things like that is that true isn't it it feels a bit like that. It feels like you're scenting yourself being in there, and it scents your brain and your thoughts and your, and you can taste it, even though you're not tasting anything. You really taste it in your mouth. Yeah, and it is dark. There's no electricity on the farm where this is done, so it's all done. You know, and there's a few lamps. It's the same way it's been done for a long time. This tea was once the preserve only of emperors. Only the emperor's family were allowed to jasmine sulphur tip tea. It was the tribute, like a tax from the local area. They gave their best thing, and the local dignitaries would want the same thing, they weren't allowed to actually have the silver tip, they would have to have a leaf tea with jasmine on it. In Fujian province, that's the tribute of Fujian. So I was thinking about my favourite smells and I was really giving this a hard time and I know exactly what it is. I live right by Regent's Park and there's a path through Regent's Park from Primrose Hill to Maribone that goes all the way through and there are some formal gardens along that path which are really pretty but behind the formal garden there's an old lilac pathway but no one knows it's there because it's not really in a place, there's no path, you have to just know and I've been walking down that path a long, lot of times and I noticed behind something else there were lots of lilacs I'm thinking gosh why are they behind something and I managed to fight my way through it's rather overgrown and you can walk through this lilac um, avenue it's not part of any path in the garden anymore and it's very overgrown and when it's wet and it's been raining and you walk through there and it's a bit wet and damp and green and then you get soaking wet obviously because you have to sort of duck and dive through and you get all the flowers in your hair and but the smell is just amazing and it's not just one kind of lilac the white and dark purple and the pale pale lilac purple ones and pink ones and they've all got slightly different aromas and then you're just going through there and it's again that like being in the jasmine scenting you just get that kind of oh my god I'm going to faint with all these amazing smells and it's not just those as well it's the greenness of the grass and the overgrown vegetation it's amazing and then suddenly those flowers are just gone you know they're all brown and I took them and I, I, because it's it's a terrible thing to admit, but because it's not in the main path and no one can see them, I took some of those heads of lilacs and I put them in my bathroom and it was just amazing. great aunt she had um, been brought up in India and she had to survive Darjeeling sent to her every year and we were given the teas also afternoon tea you're given tea at other people's houses you got orange squash and then adults drank tea but at her house they had a silver trolley and the tea and cakes underneath and she made this big thing and we all sat around in the drawing room and it was really nerve-wracking because you had a teacup and a saucer notice I never use saucers I do have some but I, I find them quite nerve-wracking I just like to have a cup Anyway, so you had it, and I remember the sofa was bright yellow, and I didn't want to spill the tea, and I had a piece of cake in the other hand, and it was all quite traumatic. But the tea was amazing, and didn't take anything like 
floral and bright and incredible. And it was quite a grown-up flavour to me, but it didn't taste like the other tea, you know, and we didn't, I didn't drink it with milk. It wasn't served with milk. It just served as this tea. It was really extraordinary. And what I, but I'd forgotten that until I went to China. That kind of lost in the background of my head, and I just thought tea was tea and tea bags, and until I went to China and I tried some really extraordinary teas, and I went, oh, God, of course, tea can be more than that. You can go to a, a really nice hotel in Shanghai or Fujian, Shaman, and a tea this size, so that's about, the pot is about the size of uh, two cupped hands, um, and little cups as we're drinking from, which are no bigger than, um, yeah, a tablespoon. That would be... Um, $150, and I think, how can tea cost that much? And then you taste it, and you taste all the flavours that were in it, and you think, oh, my God, I had no idea tea could be like this. <sighs> China is the smelliest and most incredible place ever. If you're in the city, it's like Blade Runner. And there's petrol smells and uh, chicken and frying and washing and, you know, all the smells all together, much more than our cities, because our cities are a bit more ordered. And you might have a road here and someone's washing next to it and, you know, um, people selling things on the street. Um, there's no bicycles anymore, it's lots of cars. And it's, quite, it, it's quite heady and it's quite dirty. Um, and then you go up into the mountains where the tea is and it's like, where they still hand producing tea. It's not like going back centuries, it's like going back millennia. There's a few bamboo hats and they've got their own flats and they, they have no electricity, there's no power cables. It's just, it's just extraordinary and it smells of tea. You know, it smells... Their tea bush is a camellia and it has, even when it's unprocessed form, it's a green smell. It smells amazing and when they pick it, it starts to smell more. And then when, you, when you're picking it, you often leave the tea beside. You've got a big basket of it, you'll leave it beside on the path and go and pick more. And so these piles of tea sitting there and they'll be getting slightly dried in the sun. The smell will come off them. So, yeah, the smell of tea is amazing. Because there's so many different teas from all over the world, you get that sort of spatial comprehension. That yeah, because I get the real joy of going to find all the teas and working my farmers, so... It will, it's sometimes really, really strong, especially with the Los Malawi, you know, it's tea from Malawi. I, when I drink that, I can't help but bang there as soon as I drink it. And the, uh, and the white silver in the morning, I feel when I'm back up on the mountain, top of the mountain in Fujian. Yeah, I know, because, yeah, I, and I, and you, you know when you know the man who made it and where it comes from, you, you, you can't help but think of him. night, every night without fail, my parents would have a whiskey and uh, we would make it. They would send you to go and make it for them. Yeah, same whiskey and the same way. And they liked it different ways. So my father would have it very strong um, with just a dash of water. My mother would have much less and with ice and water. You know, quite Spanish, I suppose, even though she's not. And that, and I, um, I can, and the noise of the glass with in it, and it's just since my mother, whereas, you know, my father would never have a clink. And did you used to take the odd cheeky Absolutely, sip? absolutely, always. It was sort of, you know, a payment for getting the drink, I didn't expect it. They'd have been very disappointed if we hadn't been drinking the drinks, and that must have been from about six, I suppose. My, the, the grandmother, the sank grandmother, 
she um <laughs> she used to drink sherry in the day, but she didn't think it was alcoholic. To her, it wasn't. It was just what you had before lunch. And so she would offer it to us when we were children as well. We've been drinking sherry a long time. Does tea as a flavour go with alcohol? Yeah, I do a lot of... Um, shall we try some? Do you want to try... Shall we do some uh, jasmine silver tip in gin? So what I'm doing now is I'm putting the jasmine silver tip tea in gin and the alcohol works like hot water and sucks the flavour out very quickly. So you don't need to do it for very long. You need about um, two, three grams of tea for a double measure of gin or you could use 25 grams in a whole bottle. And for, for if you're doing it in a small way, you could do it quite quickly in a minute or two and you could use 20 minutes in a bottle. You leave it a little bit longer with slightly less. Lots of the bars I work with have it already infused on the bar, so they'll have a jasmine gin or a Grey gin. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Mm. And nothing mm. in there, you don't need any vermouth, you don't need a twist, you don't need an olive. It's just perfect, isn't it? This is one of the things that you'll really notice is that the alcohol disappears, doesn't it? Mm. And that's one of the problems with tea cocktails. Is the tea is so interesting and complicated and it softens all the alcohol notes and you think, oh, it's not that strong. <laughs> also, it's the thinking man's vodka Red Bull. Again, is this something that people are just starting to do and experiment with? Is there a, is there a history and a culture of Yeah. Um, when uh, the sailors first went to India, they brought back the concept of punch, which is basically means five, which is a sweet, a sour, a savoury, alcohol and spice. Hmm which is what a punch is and um, we used really as far back as 1660s green tea base for our punches so an English punch served across London and across Britain mostly across London there would have been green tea brandy sugar lemon and spice so we've been doing it for a long long time so the green tea was both the lengthener the bitter and safe way of lengthening what people think of as normal tea you know you can call it normal tea uh, black tea you can see all different sized particles you can tell that's a handmade tea because you've got some whole leaves in there some broken pieces and actually you can tell how interesting the blend is look that's a whole leaf there the blend has you've got these little golden buds here it's a very expensive Chinese tea little kind of green piece there that's a first flush Darjeeling you know, this is a blend that I make for some of my restaurants it doesn't have to be exotic to be wonderful I mean tea is exotic this comes from India and China and Africa. But because it's normal to us doesn't mean it should be boring or flat or bland. And people think, oh, well, tea's tea. It's just about packaging. And this is going to show you that it's not. So I'm going to give it quite a soft infusion because we're going to drink it without milk. You shouldn't need to put milk in black tea. You can if you want. It's nothing that it tastes however you like it, but it's soft and sweet mm. without... Coffee. Mmm. Coffee, caramel, burnt sugar. Mm. You can recognise that. It's very familiar, isn't it? Yeah. It's familiar and yet um, complex. It's like normal tea in 3D, I think. I think it's hard to go back, actually. Once you've tried this, next time you have your 
really cheap industrial tea bag tea, you'll be like, oh, but it's a bit flat. Oh, it's missing all those other flavours. Too one-dimensional. I have kind of a bit of a cult following and a bit, a bit like a drug dealer, because once you've tried the good stuff, there's no going back, and so I'll meet people in the corner of Camden. And I'll, and I'll have a bag of tea and I'll have a bag of cash and we do a swap. But they're, you know, they're jonesing on the good stuff and they're really worried about running out of their stash. And it's not like fine wines where you'd have to have a very educated palate sometimes to tell the difference. You know, you could be fooled with a bottle of wine that costs £500 and 50 and 5 and maybe make a mistake as to which one was more valuable. Whereas tea, I don't think anyone could ever mistake that for another. Like wearing. Yes, I want to show you this. My grandmother was a very grand lady, and she gave me this scent. I'm hoping a new one for you because it's, it doesn't. It's not possible to get this anymore because I've got about twelve old bottles. I bought them from everywhere. She gave me this when I was sixteen. She said, "Darling, this is your scent." I didn't get to choose it. Uh, she gave it to me, and she said, "This is this, this is for you." And it's um, Yves Saint Laurent just the Y. She thought everyone should have a scent, and she said, you know, your clothes should smell of it, your house should smell of it, you should be known of it, all people will recognise you, and it's true, people do recognise me with this scent. So if I stay um, in someone's house and I've been in their house and I've had my head on a cushion or I've slept in the bed and they said it's funny because they can smell you when they're changing the sheets or if they're sitting on the sofa or if I leave a scarf behind, and there's something quite nice about that. To go back just to when you were a 16-year-old girl, did you take to it straight away and go, yep, that's fine? Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely fell in love with it. It was quite grown up. And it seemed, it is quite, it's quite great. It smells to me very great, but it's also not very potent. It doesn't stay a long time. It's not, it's not like poison or something like that, which was very fashionable when I was that age. And all those other scents were very full on. And if you stuck in a lift with somebody, you were like, or in the, in the tube, you were like, oh gosh, please let me go to the other end of the carriage. Although when they stopped making it, I had to suddenly think again and look. And now I have lots and lots, and I only use this, so I not, don't always smell of this anymore. Now I've discovered a whole other world. I couldn't not smell of all the other things. I love them. I mean, like, oh, you introduced me to tobacco blonde, and my mother is uh, a smoker and also very glamorous. She was my grief. And I gave her um, the tobacco blonde, and she absolutely loved it, and she's completely fallen in love with it, and it just smells so much like her. It's always like, of course that's her scent. Of course. I mean, why wouldn't she have always worn that? It's one of the most written about talked about fragrances because it's very much of the jazz age. So that and Habanita came out in the 20s. Habanita was um, originally used to scent cigarettes, whereas Tabac Blonde came out as a perfume. It was, it was unknown whether it was for men or for women, but women appropriated it anyway. People always say Marlena Dietrich wore it, and because it's one of those that's associated with renegade silent movie stars, it's got this reputation as being terribly controversial and wayward because you're making yourself smell of cigarettes. Is there, is there a time or a place that Earl Grey is most appropriate, do you think? Yeah, with it... a cucumber sandwich in the afternoon, absolutely delicious. A really nice, simply, perfectly done cucumber sandwich. 
And can I suggest that you cut the seeds out of the fruit um, and you cut really, really fine and you do it on a, a really good quality bread with unsalted butter and a little dash of salt. Skin on the cucumber? Yeah. Personally, it has an added dimension of flavour, but it should be really, really fine. Oh, it's one of the most lovely things, but it goes incredibly well with Earl Grey. Bergamot is a naturally occurring citrus fruit, but it's a cross between a bitter orange and a lemon, and it comes from southern Italy. Quite an English thing to do with, sorry, with Chinese teas, because all tea came from China at this point, is we put a zest of lemon over the tea like you would over a martini. You know, just a snap of the citrus oil that rests on the surface and brings out the floral notes of the tea. And if you can do that with lemon, and then you get this new exotic weird fruit coming from, from Italy, perhaps we should try it with that. And so that was put over the top, and how lovely that was together. We thought, well, we can make that by putting it actually on the tea. So that citrus oil was put on the tea rather than just over the infused drink. Never, ever put a piece of lemon in your tea. That was Americans who decided that for their, for their iced tea. But the citrus, as, a, as, a, as an acid, doesn't work with tea. The, the oil of the, of the skin is beautiful, but you don't really want a bit of sour fruit in your tea. It's a weird thing that people have forgotten. They think, oh, tea with lemon means a piece of lemon. It just means a bit of zest. That's real bergamot. It's almost like a printing press. Ooh, I don't know what that means. But isn't that so? That, I suppose you mean those volatile, I don't you mean ink smells. Because mm. it is very volatile, it's right there, isn't it? But you see in the tea, it's quite subtle. It should just be a little note in the tea, like, ooh. And some people are upset, they say, oh, Henry, you've got to redo this, because this, this is my old base, the one I make. They say, oh, you've got to redo it and make it with more bergamot, and, you know, because we need more bergamot. But I'm not going to play because it should just, it's going to be delicious with a lovely little note of citrus. Absolutely adore the smell of ground coffee. I always um, wish it tasted quite as good and, it, and now I've found that it can taste as good as the ground coffee if you make it really beautifully, like a double ristretto can be almost as, you know, so there's amazing guys in London now reworking coffee and making it the brilliant thing and they're the ones that I go to to make my tea because I want them if they put so much passion into coffee if they take the same passion about making tea it'll be as good so there's a lot of places around London where I swap yeah and they get it they completely get it because they're like oh my god you know they're spending time weighing out the coffee exactly and really playing with the water temperature and the pressure and all this kind of stuff they can make tea so easily in comparison and they want to make it as best as it can be I had a question about the tea ceremony, Japanese tea ceremony. Mm. There's an important part of it which is, is about smelling the tea before. Smelling the lid, looking at the tea, enjoying all the parts of it is a, is a wonderful way of, of giving yourself a moment in the day. But you get real pleasure from something if you take your time to smell and taste and look and you know feel the mouthfeel and get more more pleasure out of it, but I think sometimes when they're six hours long it can be a bit further. The, Jap the Chinese tea ceremony is much quicker. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be, it can be as long as you want, you can spend as much time. I have, I, um, I have a lovely Buddhist nun who uses my tea and she thinks of it as um, a meditation. Making the tea gives her a moment where she thinks and stops and really relaxes and enjoys it, but you know, you can have it first thing in the morning, quickly gulp down, however you want to.
had our own tea ceremony of sorts. Yes, we have, haven't we? It's been a not, sure, not very ceremonious and also rather messy. And you know, you can imagine what it was like with a tea set when I was little, you know, everything going everywhere. Yeah, I like it all to be, while I'm doing it, to be quite messy, then I tied it all away, I put it all perfect again. But while I'm doing it, I don't want to be too worried about spilling things and, you know, getting leaves everywhere. I want to look and touch. And in China, it's the same, they spill the tea. I must have learnt it there, all in my dolls. That was Henrietta Lovell's Life in Scents. You can find out more about Henrietta's teas and where to get hold of them at rareteacompany.com. This is the 10th episode of Life in Scents. Many more interviews can be downloaded from the website. Keep up to date by subscribing on iTunes or follow Life in Scents on Twitter.